How to Relationship Redefined. I'm your host, Alyssa Peth, a parent and relationship coach. As a coach, my focus is to guide you towards becoming aware, authentic, and aligned with your true self. Our outer relationships serve as mirrors reflecting our inner world. It is through this understanding that we can embark on a journey of self-discovery and alignment. On this podcast, we explore the profound connection between our inner selves and the relationships we form with others. With a focus on awareness, authenticity, and alignment, we dive into thought-provoking discussions and practical strategies to help you cultivate fulfilling relationships. Hello, this is Alyssa with Relationship Redefined. I have a special guest today, Ruth Fearnow, and uh, she is the author of Therapeutic Mindfulness. Hi, I'm Ruth. (laughs) I'm an author of Therapeutic Mindfulness. I am a therapist. And I've been doing that for a long time. And I created this book that is about what I call a healing skill and not a coping skill. And that's a subtitle. And I'm really excited about this project. That is wonderful. Um, Could you tell me a little more about uh, the difference between healing and coping as far as your mindfulness goes? Absolutely. Well, I'll make these broad definitions. So a healing skill... Well, let's start with a coping skill. A lot of us have learned coping skills different ways from our teachers, from our therapists growing up, whichever way from the internet, from gurus, and they're, they're useful for what they're useful for. And my belief that is short-term coping. So for example, if I'm in the grocery store and I want to cry, I would prefer to wait. So I can use a coping skill to kind of squash that, push that to the side a little bit until I can get home or until the kid is put to bed and, you know, I've done the things I need to do. But after that, if all we use is coping skills, then things that we never address has a tendency to build up. And that's where healing skills come in. And to be fair, we're not taught healing skills, right? I didn't learn healing skills when I grew up. And most people, when they hear like, okay, you need to get over it. It's like, great. That sounds great. I would love to get over it. But how? All I know to do is meditate to feel better in the moment, but then it keeps coming up. And that's where a coping skill comes in. So in my mind, healing skills short term, but if you want to heal something so it doesn't keep coming up, doesn't get triggered, that's what you use a cope or excuse me, a healing skill for. Okay. Awesome. That is so true. A lot of people do not, um, they're not taught to uh, healing skills and that is a very necessary uh, tool that everybody needs. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm so excited about the project. I mean, and it even fits relationship issues as you, you know, your podcast wants to address those issues and what we do And some of the things that get stuck, they show up in relationship, but you can go to your meditation place, your quiet place and work on them in private using something like this. That is wonderful. So what is the difference between what you teach and guided meditation? Ooh, well, that's fun because I do guided meditation. (laughs) So I've been (laughs) um, a a meditator very actively for 21 years And even when I first became a therapist, one of the early things I did is whatever working on 
in therapy logically, once something like really struck someone or seemed helpful, I would try to use um, meditation, guided meditation to help them go deeper with what I do with therapeutic mindfulness. It seems that we've missed a step when we were learning about mindfulness, about meditation, about guided meditation. It's like they're wonderful for reinforcing positive things in our mind. But what do we do when things are negative? And to me, it's just like the missing link. You know, we've got a lot of answers. And then there's this canyon, Grand Canyon sized hole that says, but what do you do when you feel bad? And therapeutic mindfulness is like, you know what? We can use mindfulness principles. And instead of just focusing on a visualization or emptying our mind, we're going to look at the anxiety, at the fear, at the sadness, at whatever's coming up, at what we're triggered about. And we're going to do mindfulness on that. That is wonderful. I did mean to ask you, um, what do what is your definition of mindfulness? Ooh, <laughs> mindfulness <laughs> is, in my opinion, non-judgmental, focused attention. Continue with whatever wonderful. exercise. Okay. Yes, um, I've heard several different uh, variations of um, what people consider mindfulness, and um, you know, like growing up when I was, you know, my parents would have me practice uh, being in the moment, you know, so if it was like doing dishes, noticing the scent of the dish soap, the feeling on your hands, things like that. And so um, I've heard people use that as mindfulness. And I've heard very, you know, very different definitions. So thank you for sharing yours. I appreciate it. (laughs) I'm curious what you got from my definition, based on the history of what you've learned and how you've seen it applied. Uh Well, it's actually very similar in a way because it is, it was, um, being in, in a non-judgmental state, you know, it was like being taught to be in a non-judgmental state as I was just, you know, doing everyday tasks. Yeah. Like like the description of the dishes, you can be mindful about anything and you, you know, you really can. Um, and it's, wonderful that you learned that growing up. So for you, this would be just a slightly different application of it, or maybe a very different application. I don't know. Have you ever heard of doing it on the bad feeling? Um, I, let's see here. I have um, worked on it myself, but that (laughs) is just because I just, you know, was applying what I'd learned in a different area of my life. (laughs) So that's wonderful. Well, here and there, I found some people that stumble upon some version of, you know, if they've really been seekers or, you know, I I don't know what the factors are, but I've met a few people here and there that somehow intuit or figure out or learn that you don't just do it when things are happy or you don't use it to try to make things happy. Right. So Sorry. (laughs) um, sorry to take the interviewer a little bit, the interviewer role, but I'm curious, um, as a person who's done self-help and, and, you know, working on yourself, what is your impression of what a trigger um, is? That would be, uh, in my personal experience, uh, a trigger is something that causes me to uh, feel a specific way. And it generally is actually something, I see it as something that builds bubbles to the surface, you know, like, um, 
uh, a trauma trigger or, you know, uh, maybe a moment of anger or whatever, but um, it can go any direction. I love that is something that bubbles to the surface because on the surface, so there's a lot of thinking and self-help and therapy that is, that has been designed for working on the surface. Sadly, I've seen people that are not ready to make the right Right. decision for them. And that happens because they know it's not in alignment with their heart. They have to shove themselves down. And then their voice is crushed. Which is when you're in a, when you're seeing it from somebody that you love, it is so shattering, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole nother thing about being able to watch someone go through something and the frustration and the pain of watching them be in pain, but it really, they need to get to a place Actually, maybe this is a great point to bring up. Let me shout out to everyone (laughs) who knows somebody who wishes they would get out of a horrible situation and is super frustrated with them at times. And when people are frustrated with them, they can lose their support system. But please know that uh, they cannot, they cannot leave until they have healed what makes them stay. And that might be deep shame. It might be deep fear and panic. It might be deep guilt. And I've seen all those things play out. So it's not really that they're being resistant or obstinate and they don't want to take your advice. It's that an advice from someone you care about is not as powerful as absolute panic or horrible shame. That stuff can control That is so true. Thank you for bringing that up because it is you know, it is very, very hard to see somebody in a situation, a toxic situation, and you want to do what's best for them. And you can see, it's like you can, from your perspective, you can see everything. And, but they're not able to, and it's very difficult to stay supportive and, um, and, you know, in that loving space, because all you want is the best for them especially since the majority of people that you know that are like that, they're amazing people on the inside, but they're, yes. They're sweet. <laughs> yes. They're the best, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that actually makes them um, in some ways, not, not that it's bad to be sweet at all, but people that are more sweet to others than themselves, there's a, that uh-huh. imbalance makes them susceptible to having to being guilty or guilted for not taking care of or let me say that right being guilted for taking care of themselves um and i tell you when someone is that super sweet person that just wants to give everyone the shirt off their back and then you do it for a few years and it's only been taken advantage of they start to get angry and you know the anger or even rage will then flip on them and they'll think i'm a bad person because i don't want to be this angry person And now they have to shame themselves into staying because if they really were a good person, they could take it and still be kind and loving. And now there's this like loop logic that makes Mm -hmm. us, they can never leave. It's crazy. But when it's healed, when the shame is healed, then they can see more clearly that they're not helping the other person anyway, but by taking care of themselves, they can genuinely help people and they're able to break the cycle. What would you say to the person who's in a toxic relationship but doesn't want to leave because they are afraid of 
because they have abandonment wounds, so they don't want to abandon another person. Uh, okay. I actually have this person. How did you know? You shouldn't be spying on my practice. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's a common one. So what would I, what I would say to them, actually, I would start exploring the abandonment wounds. Um, and again, if, if I'm a friend and I'm not their therapist or I'm just, you know, speaking generally, if I'm the therapist, we're going to dig into the wounds. But if I'm, you know, just having a conversation with someone and they know a guy or a gal that freaks out and has this big abandonment stuff come up, what I would say, I, I don't make any advice about the relationship itself because right. I don't know what their wisdom will tell them to do. I just know the wisdom is blocked by the abandonment. Exactly. So wouldn't it be great to be with the person that you're with because you want to, because you love it, because it's a nurturing relationship and being able to have it be an equal nurturing relationship, wouldn't that be great? Which we don't know if it will be or not, but they will be able to tell if they're not blinded by abandonment fear. So really, I might go into the abandonment in the presence in the present and say, okay, that's where you can sit with therapeutic mindfulness to be with your hurt feelings is the way you would be if you were nurturing a child or even a hurt puppy. And you, you know, you would sit with that hurt part of you. And you say, wow, it, it's so hard to be a big abandoned feeling. Show me where it hurts. And your chest might be squeezing tight or might be a big empty hole and might be steel and hard and dark and cold. And you say, okay, I'm here. I'm listening. Show me all of it. And if you can sit with that, uh, and it's interesting because the feelings will sometimes get worse at first. And it'll say, really? Yes. I don't believe you. I'm going to show you all of it. It's bigger. And you say, okay, go ahead and get bigger. And you can invite it. Show me how big it is. And when you sit with that for just a few more moments, it, it's as if the feeling itself will say, oh, shoot, you're really still there. <laughs> and it starts to kind of calm. Isn't that what happens when we cry or when we're really freaked out or shaking mm -hmm. with anxiety and someone is able to be with us and we're like, no, 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 no. And then they're like, no, really. And if we're able to show them and they're still able to support us and give us that space, then it starts to calm and we start to relax. It's the same for our hurt parts. That's how we do it. That's what this whole process is, is how do we be with ourselves in that nurturing way? And we do it with the body and that feeling. And we stay there and we say, okay, show me how, show me how much it hurts. And then we just stay with it. And it starts to get better and shift and change. And I have had people have a really intense pain point come up and 15 minutes later, it's not always 15, but I have had it happen. 15 minutes later, I bring them back to it. So remember that thing? Remember being alone after your date and having the loneliness and goal few or whatever we're working on? And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's fine. I'll, I can see them again. And they say it like it's so matter of fact. I'm like, you do remember how like absolutely <laughs> paralyzed you were minutes ago. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it can be really a cool, um, really cool experience to watch someone go through that nurturing and healing of themselves. That is wonderful.
Uh, it sounds very similar to what I do with um, my hypnosis stuff. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, that yeah. and um, uh, kind of working with childhood wounds, you know, the inner child. And um, so it, I love it because you're actually bringing it out in a completely different way and in a way that needs to be brought out and um, not putting labels on it that a lot of people put labels on. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I would love to hear more about what that, I'd love to hear about the labels so I can get a picture. Okay. So, you know, sitting with your hurt and your pain, a lot of people would say, uh, they would say like, go to your inner child and sit with your inner child and uh, things like that. But some people have a really hard time doing that because it, it actually personifies something that they're not ready to see yet. And so by just saying you're hurt, you're actually addressing the specific pain that you're, you know, uh, experiencing at that moment. Mm, Okay. I see what you mean. Well, um, spoiler alert, I do some inner child stuff in the book, but don't freak out (laughs) everyone. You don't have to do it. (laughs) That is wonderful. That's another thing um, that is like really important. Once you start experiencing those things like the uh, ginger root flowering um, not to overanalyze that you know like okay so why did a ginger root flower in my chest (laughs) you know I never found out and neither did she (laughs) that's good (laughs) because that's not the point You know, there are times, there are times when we get explanations. Actually, my saw blade and the skull pencil and eyeball thing is a perfect time. Because, you know, one thing I tell people um, is, like, if you knew why, would you feel better? (laughs) Let's just skip that and go right to the part where you get to feel better. Exactly. A lot of times when we kind of fall back into a pattern, it causes us to feel like you know, feel hopeless. Like, well, that's it. (laughs) There's no hope for me. I can't change anything. You know, this is my life and I am a horrible, horrible person. But uh, if we could just actually see the progress that we've made and we do make progress, if we could just focus more on that, then um, that will help us, you know, pull out of, because essentially we become victims to our patterns, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I do have, um, so I have an appendix with these worksheets and I do have a progress tractor, uh, excuse me, project, uh, words, <laughs> progress tracker. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it helps if you can have that at your disposal, then when you have one of these relapses where all the old patterns are popping up and it feels like it did before, you can look at it. Once I walk people through where they were six months before, there's no one that is like, oh, it's so terrible. It, it really <laughs> makes a big difference and they have to think to do it. But that's why I have the tracker available uh, because when people can see that, it restores hope and then they keep growing. And like I said, the fight is not what freaked her out so much. It was the fear that she couldn't yes. heal. And it wasn't true. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is amazing. It's really- Thank you for sharing. Yeah, wonderful work to do. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so um, the name of your book is Therapeutic Mindfulness uh, by Ruth Fiernow. Um, I forgot the subtitles again. Oh, I love it so much. It is Therapeutic Mindfulness, a Healing Skill, Not a Coping Skill. Yes, and I really appreciate you being with us today. This has been amazing. Uh, where can our listeners find you? I am, well, my book is on Amazon. It is on paperback and ebook right now. Um, audio is not ready yet, but it will hopefully be in a few weeks. Knock on wood. It is recorded and it is in the studio for editing. And uh, let's see. I have a website, ruthfearnow.com. Fear now is spelled like it sounds. It's be afraid right now, <laughs> which is the best name for a therapist, right? Yes. <laughs> So ruthfearnow.com, which will have, um, it'll show the book. It'll have a link to the Amazon. Of course, you can look it up on Amazon. And I have worksheets up on the website as well. I have the progress tracker. I have the procedure. I have the mindfulness phrases and the body questions. I have all this stuff on there. So I'm willing to share that freely. And the book itself will go into a lot more in-depth examples, discussion, and then all the ways that our mind tries to sabotage us and what we can do with that. So it's really an in-depth, um, it, it goes deep into what happens and how we deal with what comes up. But there may be people that can get a lot out of just the downloads or even the progress tracker if they're working another kind of therapy. So whatever can be useful, that's available. And then of course, there's also uh, tabs about you can contact me for speaking. I do speaking in workshops. I can, I've actually had people in front of a group volunteer to do the mindfulness so everyone can watch it. That so amazing. all that's available. And I love, I, I love teaching it and I want to share it with as many people as possible. Excellent. And I appreciate the opportunity to do this. <laughs> well, I really appreciated you. Um, being on my show, I really uh, admire what you're doing, and I feel like it's very important for everybody to be able to hear it. And uh, thank you for giving so much access to um, your therapeutic mindfulness because it sounds like it's something that is, you know, very beneficial to it will be very beneficial. But, will be very Work. beneficial to a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> Well, you are very welcome. I thank you for the opportunity and um, I hope we have, we have more conversations and are in touch again. Excellent. And I hope your I hope your listeners find it very helpful for them. I'm sure that they will. Thank you so much, Ruth, for being with me today. You're welcome. So um, I guess that's the end of the show. Is there anything else that... This has been Relationship Redefined with Psych Girl. I am your host, Elizabeth, reminding you to subscribe to our channel for weekly episodes. If you would like to learn more about me, you can visit my website at psychgirlcoaching.com. Until next week, I wish you the very best. <laughs>